Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. I did it. I hit record, and we got our sound cranking. Uh, I'm excited for this one. I had to wait a little bit. Schedules were tight. Very busy guy to introduce to you today. And man, I'm just stoked. We're finally doing it. It's like, we're finally here. And we're at an intersection. We're at like a four-way intersection where everyone's got little stop signs. Or maybe they're all just green lights saying like, go. We're at an intersection. My guest today, technology, marketing, podcasting, and that other street is just the street of awesome all colliding together. So let me tell you about him. And I've been a fan of his shows for a long time. He he hosts many a podcast and I've even had the chance to be on one. It was super cool with Salesforce's Marketing Trends podcast. Also the host of award-winning podcasts. Like I don't even know what that even means. We're gonna have to ask him about that. Um, the story and the mission daily, creator of 40 plus podcasts. He's hosted eight of them, <laughs> actual separate podcasts. I don't know how he does it. I can barely do one and keep up over a thousand interviews in the last three years. So we're going to see if I can up my interview game here. Oakland native, former army captain, West Point grad advisor at qualified, one of our former sponsors, co-founder of mission.org, co-founder of Vetcon, CEO and founder of Caspian studios, Ian Faison. Welcome to the show. Sup, Casey. Good to, uh, good to be here. And <laughs> thanks for the kind words, man. There's so much to you, and I, I'm not even trying to like blow smoke. There's just I had a lot. I trimmed that down, if you can believe it. Yeah, you know it's um uh, they say that you can't uh, you can't connect the dots until you make all the dots. So hopefully uh, I've been I've been making making some dots over the past uh, twelve years, and uh, and they're all starting to connect now. I suppose not just dots, man. You're making dipping dots. You know those little <laughs> ice cream things and the ice cream balls. of the future. Yeah. Ice cream yeah. of the future, man. Totally. So I'm going to stop talking. It's time to get going. We got to, I can't wait to learn from you. I mean, you are a master of podcasts and, and all things, and I can't wait to learn from you. So I'm going to pass you something real quick. It's heavy though, but I know you're army. So you're almost as strong as the Marines and here it is. Ugh. Okay. Here you go. You got it. Thor's hammer. Got it. Okay. Nice. I technique. Got it. Nice. Nice. Can you take Thor's hammer smash for me? some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, just like set the record straight once and for all. Yeah. So um, I think that there's a huge myth that we don't need to create great work. Um, I think that there's a lot of this move towards, um, you know, maybe, maybe we can outsource like this, this piece to, uh, to someone to write a $10 article. We can, um, we can move something towards uh, uh, maybe something that's just easier to create. We can um, make something that is subpar. And I think as marketers, that's just, uh, it's a huge, it's a huge myth because none of that stuff is memorable. All the bad stuff, nobody remembers um, and nobody really cares about. Uh, and it's about making great stuff. It's about making great uh, assets. It's about gr making great content. It's about making great experiences. It's about being, being memorable. And I, I say that this is, um, making your, uh, yourself, your product, your company remarkable. And what remarkable means is that you actually have to tell it to somebody else. You have to speak about it to somebody else. Um, you know, this whole idea of, of, 
word of mouth um, of water cooler gossip, that's remarkable things. When you first went to Dreamforce for the first time, that was a remarkable event. It is a spectacle. It is something yeah. that you couldn't believe was happening, that all these people could descend on San Francisco, uh, that that 100,000 plus people could be there in one place to talk about essentially like in the, you know, sales and marketing in the early days. Um, all of those things are remarkable. And, and I think the myth is, is just that you can kind of just get by with good enough or that you need to be this, uh, um, have this commitment to your content calendar. And at the end of the day, the people on the other side, they just don't care. Like they don't care about your content calendar. They don't care about any of that. And just so much of what we do is a race to the bottom. As Seth Godin calls it uh, the race to the bottom, where you just make worse and worse stuff for a lower and lower uh, cost or price, and eventually you just have a bunch of garbage. And I think that that is one of the one of the huge issues with marketing now is like people just don't want to take the time to make something great. Man. You came out guns blazing. It's like you got two M4s on each hand. You're just like, G.I. <laughs> Joe, just going to town. Dude, I, I can relate to that so much and just even tying into Dreamforce. But the idea that what we talk about at the water cooler, proverbial or not, or in Slack or to our friends over a beer, is not the boring part of our day, right? No one's doing that. We don't talk about, I don't remember, I can't tell you examples of boring, I can tell you bad marketing, that's memorable. I can also tell you amazing experiences I had when I got this mason jar from Terminus eight years ago with my logo on the front of it. It's, it, it's the memorable things that show up year after year and then I remember and you tell your friends about it. It, it's so it's interesting. We lose sight of that. What? Why? Why? Why is the race to the bottom a thing? Why do we even have to worry about that? It's just easier. It's easier to create those things. So uh, there, there's a pretty there's a pretty famous marketer um, out there right now that uh, that I've seen post a few times about how like anybody can create a podcast, true. and I think that that is true. And like my uh, Caspian, we create B two B podcasts. So yeah. obviously, like this is the world that I live in. But I think it's it's, it's just a, it's a funny point to make that anyone can create a podcast or, 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 and you could, you could say anyone can create an event, anyone can create a book, anyone can do any of those things. Um, and I, it's, that's true. Right. But it's the same thing as saying like, anyone can write their autobiography. All you need is a pen. It's like, that's not really how it works. Um, there's so many things that go into creating something great that we just don't see or know about. We don't know. In the news right now, you're seeing this, like the Zack Snyder cut. Have you heard about this? No, tell me. What's up? Oh, like I live in a bubble, and then I, I rely on the podcast to like keep me informed. Yeah, so Zack Snyder uh, was the, I think, director of Justice League. Um, and basically, he created this version. I mean, I don't really necessarily know the, the whole backstory to it, but basically, he has a four-hour movie that he created. Um, and then they aired like, I think is like an hour and 45 minutes of it as the actual movie. And so everyone, and the actual movie was really bad. And everyone uh, is now clamoring for, for Zach to release this, the quote unquote Snyder cut of this movie, which is supposed to be like this epic movie, but it's four hours long. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so they're going to release it. And so it's like uh, in the, in the, like the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, the justice league, the, uh, a lot of the people who are huge comic book fans, things like that, they're really excited for this. And I think that that's such, it's a great, um, it's a great 
example of a few different things for marketers there, because you have a, what was the problem? They created all this great stuff and people are dying to see it. And yet the studios couldn't figure out a way to give this to the people, right? Like they have millions and millions of fans. Like, how can you not figure out how to do that? Then the other thing is on Zach's behalf, it's like, well, it's the old Mark Twain adage. I would have wrote you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Didn't like the, time, the editing yeah. is the hard part. Yeah. So I think that it speaks to um, this idea now that you can make really amazing stuff. Uh, you can go long, you can do these sort of things, um, but you also have to have an editor. And I think that that's what we see with people like just, you know, making podcasts. That's what we see with people writing blog posts. That's what we see. It's, you know, just because you sat there and jammed on an article for, uh, and it took you two weeks, doesn't mean that you did a good job on it. And just because, and even worse, if you outsource it for $10 and you say, well, it's good enough just so that I have content on my site, uh, because I need to have X amount of content because the more content that we have, um, the better that does for SEO. Like that is a race to the bottom. That is just creating uh, garbage to fill uh, a stat that, that doesn't necessarily lead to value. Um, and I think that, so a lot of times marketers try to look at, well, you know, posting once a day is good, but posting twice a day is better. And then posting three times a day is great. But posting four times a day, actually, we see a decrease. And, you know, sending an email at 8 a.m. is better than 4 a.m. and all these sort of things. And we kind of get caught up in, in all of that stuff when it's like, yeah, but what are you actually saying in any of those emails, in any of those posts uh, or any of those things? And um, I think it was the CEO of Uberflip um, who I had on on a podcast a while back. And he was like, the average... Uh, the average social media post gets like between like four and six likes mm. uh, for a B2B company, which means that the marketing team doesn't even like their own posts, right? <laughs> like that. So you're looking at, we're just all creating stuff that is generally not good enough quality. And I have some like ways to think about that too, but I, I just think so much of that goes to our content calendar, how we're creating it, the ease of creating it, uh, and and not doing the the hard work and and another kind of final piece on this is, you know, people say, well, yeah, it's hard. Well, yeah, it it is hard to create something really really good because you have to do research. Um, you know, people talk about writer's block. Well, there's uh, I was taught early in my career there's no such thing as writer's block. There's reader's block. It means you haven't actually consumed enough information to be intelligent about the su subject that you're writing. And I think that that's a huge problem that we see is people are trying to create things when they don't know what they're doing or they don't have a good enough understanding of the problem that they're trying to solve for. And so they're just kind of like writing stuff, putting it onto paper, publishing, and it's just not good enough. So like yeah. why spend all of the time and effort and energy to make bad stuff when you can make really great stuff? And I think what Larry Kim says, like unicorns and donkeys, right? Um, is, uh, you know, unicorns are, are the two pieces of content that end up blowing up and, and the donkeys are the 98 that don't. Um, but I think that we need to be more purposeful in how we try to build uh, the, the unicorns and not just say, um, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to push out a bunch of stuff and, and see what hits. Man, I, I haven't heard that before about writer's block. But the idea that it's reader's block, I experienced that when I was trying to write my book and 
you know, you think you know stuff until you need to write 12 chapters of it. And you're like, oh, God. And you need a story or, or like some kind of analogy or something to start each one. You're like, God, where are my stories at? Uh, will this fit? Um, and and you're kind of like, oh, God, what do I put here? And you're right. I just I interviewed a bunch of really smart people on the podcast. And and then I was full of ideas and full of energy and and their inspiration to to write more stuff because I just needed to fill the brain, but you're right there. There's hard work that has to happen. You can't just sit down like, you know, like sit down, put the paper in the typewriter and like, okay, let's write my, my novel here. It's like, okay, it's more yeah, truth than that. Totally. And you know, like we, we learned in high school, you know, the five paragraph essay and it starts with a thesis. Well, it's like, you should be writing things that have a thesis, right? It's like, yeah. you should have something that like, I'm going to create this for a purpose. One of the great pieces of content, um, that I think is, is a good example of this is, um, blue wolf back in the day when they created the first state of Salesforce. And, yeah. and I've interviewed Corinne Sklar about it, who is the CM CMO of IBM uh, or of blue wolf at the time is now uh, CMO of IBM IX, um, that they wanted to create this really great thing, which was like, what is the state of Salesforce? This is over 10 years ago now. What is this? Because all of the people wanted to know, but Salesforce was their most important stakeholder, right? Salesforce is the, they were, you know, Blue Wolf for those of our listeners who don't know, um, those of your listeners who don't know, not mine, um, <laughs> right. is, is a company that does services uh, for Salesforce. And so they had to make a gamble and say, okay, we're going to create this thing that might make Salesforce pretty mad because mm. it's going to say a bunch of the things that are good and bad about Salesforce and it's going to ruffle some feathers, but we know people want this information. We've done enough research. We've talked to enough people. They want the truth. They want the ground truth of what is going on. So they created that asset. They did get a bunch of pushback from Salesforce. Um, and that was their best performing asset that they ever created as a company drove an absolute metric ton of business mm. to the company. And so what did they do? They started doing it every year. Then yeah. every year they'd roll out state of Salesforce, right? So now you have this anchor piece of content that is thoroughly researched, produced, created. It's very thoughtful. They have a team that creates it. And then they, and then they use that entire process to, yeah. uh, to create things, what Corinne calls pluck the chicken to push stuff out throughout the whole year. And I think that that approach- Wait, what she call it? Plucking the chicken. Pluck the chicken. And that's just yeah. like something you can use throughout the year. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Creating this like anchor piece. And then how much derivative work can we create off of the the primary asset uh, and just keep plucking the chicken to get more and more and more and more stuff uh, off yeah. of it. And, cool. and that, I think that that is a great way of think about, to think about things. And that's why like, you know, I'm so passionate about, about podcasts because they allow you to do things like that. But um you need to create an asset that people actually want to subscribe to. And like, there's a reason why if you look at uh, uh, Hollywood right now, everything is about intellectual property, right? Everything is about IP. Why is that? Because you can franchise things. You can create things that already have an audience that you can then build over time. Um, that's why, you know, Lord of the Rings sold for like a billion dollars or whatever it sold for. That's why Star Wars, Star Wars was so important because it's about world building. It's about putting people in this place and then creating derivative works off of this that can go on and on and on forever. It can expand what, 
what the person is is experiencing. Yeah. And I think just so few marketers think about that stuff um, because they want to they want to you know again create you know fifty pieces of content a year that all have kind of a different purpose. But again, how is that memorable? And and how and how would you um, how would you come across that? Like, it's just, unless yeah. you're, you know, unless you're winning those search phrases, unless you're, you know, the top one or two or three results to do those, like, why would you do all of that work for nobody to go to those pages when you can create like an asset and something that people actually love, that people actually subscribe to, like make work that people love, like people love state of Salesforce, for example. Now that seems silly to say, but like, they really do love it because it is their careers. Like, you yeah. know. Um, for a lot of the people who are, you know, Salesforce admins and people like that, that were looking at that, like, this is their career. They rely on that information every year. That's a good thing to have, right? That's mm -hmm. a great thing to have as a marketer. What is not a good thing to have as a marketer is a blog that just has like all this stuff on there that has no structure <laughs> and feel and flow. And how many people wake up every day and go, you know what? I think I'm going to go check out, you know, X company's blog. Yeah. Like, right? Nobody. Nobody does that. Get your like, cup of coffee, saddle on up over to that blog and dive yeah. into its pearly gates. Yeah, not happening. And the deliver the deliverability methods for that stuff is really bad too, right? So it's like you have to rely on social media serving that to other people. You know, hopefully you get people to share it or tell a friend or things yeah. like that. But again, it's not like an asset that you can like clearly articulate and drive to. It's like, oh, check out this blog post. But it's like, are you going to subscribe to somebody's email newsletter because you read a good blog post mm. like do you i don't i mean i no. you know i i subscribe to email newsletters that deliver really good content do you have I any favorites yeah like seth godin's is great uh okay. shout out to to harry from marketingexamples.com. that's i think that's one of the best marketing newsletters out there um uh yeah there's a bunch um i like the hustle hustle's great i mean yeah. Hustle is a masterclass in how to write a newsletter. They just got bought by HubSpot. Did they really? Yeah. Cha-ching. Are you serious? That's cool. Right. I know, but like it's what that and, and Ed Nevermont, he's got a really good one where he just analyzes the hell out of stuff. Um, but I, otherwise I'm not subscribing because you can't, you can't keep it going. <laughs> and nobody does, you know, only a few people can deliver quality over and over and over again to be worth the inbox. Otherwise you're just getting unsubscribed. They're not, all these other people aren't remarkable. You're remarkable. If you get mentioned on a rando podcast with two dudes talking about marketing, right? Like that's, that's how, you know, you you've done something magical is when it just comes up on our conversation. That's, that's exactly right. And like yeah. people, that's why, you know, I ask people all the time what their favorite podcast is and you hear, so many of the same ones over and over and over again. And there's, there are, I mean, this is the classic, you know, category design, category Kings and Queens, all that sort of stuff is like, if you're at the top of the category, you get the majority of the the results. Like hundred percent. What's yours? Uh, favorite podcast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first off my favorite podcast to create, um, I'll, I'll start with that. Um, so we create this podcast called, uh, often imitated where we, um, blend, uh, customer experience and history together. So each episode features some really interesting experience from history that teaches us something about CX. And then we 
then we uh, bring on a guest and we um, we basically see how that same theme is being used in modern day. It's really wow. rad. Yeah, it's super wow. special. Um, it's and shout out to the great people at Oracle and, and Nate Skinner and team who. Uh, oh yeah, people, Nate. Right. Yeah, yeah. They helped. The Phoenix uh, rebirth. Now he's at Oracle, just eating people for lunch. It's awesome. Yeah, and so he was, he was the one who uh, it, it was kind of he and I uh, and our team and his team kind of sitting together of how we could make something really cool. And so, anyways, that show uh, is my favorite show to create because cool. I think it blends. Uh, blends history and modern day in the way that like you can get some of the lessons from the past and learn from like history's greatest experiences. Yeah. And I think that that's something that like, whether you're a CX leader or marketing leader or whatever, I think that we so often try to look at what are our peers doing instead of looking at like, what is just a great experience, like any type of experience, let alone right. business. Maybe it's not, maybe it's whatever. And so we, we compare it to all sorts of cool stuff. We did, um, uh, we just did one on uh, the Great Wall of China. Okay. Um, and like what, like the importance of of smoke signals and like fire signals. Yeah. Like how, like this was like revolutionary technology. Uh, I mean, it wasn't technology, but like it was a revolutionary experience because like how could you man a, a wall that's thousands of miles long uh, quickly when light. invaders are yeah. coming? Right. So. Shit. Uh, yeah, so stuff like that, and then and then blending that to to modern day experiences of well, then if that's a good way to do that, then how do you communicate effectively effectively via like remote work or something like that? So anyway, yeah. long answer. That's 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 one of my favorites. Obviously, Demand Gen Visionaries, which is a podcast that I host, that's for CMOS and, and Demand Gen leaders. Uh, I love doing that show. It's awesome. That's a good one. Um, you got a great and, list of people on that one. Yeah, we've had like some of the serious, best c- serious CMOs heavy hitters. Or, yeah. Yeah, CMOs of uh, of Slack. Uh, we just had the uh, SVP at Demand Gen at Okta. Uh, he was awesome. Uh, great guest and stuff like that. And then I'll say the one that is my favorite show um, is that's not a not a Caspian production is Binge Mode. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's it's the best. Um, it's the best show that. I've ever listened to that blends like true unique personalities and talent. The, the two creators of it, um, hmm. Jason Concepcion and Mallory Rubin are just like phenomenally amazing, like writers and creators of their own. Right. But they basically deep dive into uh, a season is like, I think around like 30 or 40 episodes or something like that, or up to 60 episodes. And they basically do super deep dives on, uh, Game of Thrones, they did Harry Potter, they did uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they did um, Star Wars. And so they go every single episode, they recap the whole episode, they have themes, they have segments, oh, yeah. they go That's like awesome. super deep. So they'll do like a two and a half hour episode or two hour episode on like a 30 minute episode of TV. Wow. Um, but it incorporates like all the world. It brings in history of the universe, how it was created, like all that stuff. It's just amazingly done. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just been uh, it's it's been the best show I think on a podcast for for a couple of years now. Um, and they just did the last episode, so a little sad. But wait, they just they ended it? Yeah, because Jason moved. He was at the ringer, and he just he just switched places. So, um, but uh, but yep. yeah. Yeah, right. Wow. Damn, that's awesome. 
and, oh, so binges be the listen, the one you listen to, and then often uh, imitator would be one of the ones you created and like to listen to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. I just, I honestly, I love. I listen to a lot of like conversational podcasts like this. Yeah. Um, and then I just, I, I want storytelling. I want someone to, you know, hold the rudder and like take me somewhere in a story format that brings me actual insights that brings me um, to a place where I don't know if I would have got on my own. And I think that the best pod, I mean, 99% Invisible is another like phenomenal show that it's just like, wow, this is just hmm. a plus storytelling. And, you know, I mean, it's important to bring this stuff up because I think marketers, we just need to, to take more cues from media. Like we need to take more cues from, um, from people in Hollywood, from the way that they tell stories, the way they develop characters, the way that, um, they develop, you know, those sort of things, uh, to be really memorable and lasting and make people love them. Yeah. Um, and I think if you can get closer to that stuff, uh, you'll be better off. You know, story is such a powerful thing. And, and I was just reading the other day or listening, probably listening to it, that the idea that long before we're writing things down, like humans are actually really effective at passing stories down through like multiple generations. Cause they have this, I think it was an example in Japan where people had been in caves and they'd, done things a certain way and they passed stories down a certain way and some other cave in another part of the entire world was doing the exact same thing for you know, it was years later and so we're really good at telling stories and remembering stories and i just remember thinking um you know oftentimes there's some groups you know like eo and other places where they say you can't give advice you can't give answers you can only tell stories because that's what people remember and, I, and I've, I've witnessed that where someone's like i have a challenge here's my challenge and then some people are like, okay, here's the eight things I would do, or here's the eight things I recommend you you try out some strategies. And but you don't, I don't remember those eight, but I remember this other person saying, this is what happened to me, and this is what, you know, not even what I got from it, but this is what I, this is what happened to me. This is what I tried, and this is what happened after I tried something. Leave it yeah. like that, and you're just like, whoa, you remember those, you take them with you. Yeah, and I think, um, and I think to expand upon that, like. I think people don't think about the utility of the content that, that they provide. So actually I'll push back on the, on the story piece a little bit. Do you know where stories are completely useless? Tell me. In recipes, right? Yeah. Why do you ever care what the person was doing uh, that they're, that they're, you know, grandma used to make them this dish, blah, 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 blah. You know, they're only doing that because they want time on page to be higher so that you get to the, so that you scroll down, you look at the recipe and then you get a higher result on Google. Dirty. So dirty. Totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's sharp, but it's also like, that's why they do it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, why, why do you need this, this thing? All we want is the actual recipe, right? And if you um, only give a story and you forget to tell us how many cups of flour, now we're screwed. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so there are places where like story doesn't work and, you know, I'll give you the best listicle of all time. The Ten Commandments, right? There's a reason why it's been around for so long. Um, I mean, like this is there's a reason that uh, the stories and whatever you know religion um, uh, have yeah. like these this extreme long lasting power is because they're so memorable. Like you know, um, what whatever the 
whatever the story and the lesson and things like that is like you, you remember those, you, re you remember those sort of things. So I think that, you know, we need to figure out ways to, to give like really practical insights that help, help people. And then I think we need to figure out ways to tell stories that like cement those lessons in people's minds as marketers. Yeah. I was going to ask you earlier, we've been harping on making things remarkable and I love that concept. And, and I was going to say like, what are some of the ways we can make them remarkable? How, how, what's step one? And I get the sense that story is going to play a role here, but what, what's your, your suggestion? You got someone who's like hand on their chest, hand in the air. And they're like, I promise I want to be remarkable. I, help me out here, Ian. Like how I've been creating a bunch of bullshit up until now. I, today I want to change. <laughs> I see yeah. the light. How do, how do I become remarkable? How do I make this marketing remarkable? Yeah, totally. This is, it's a great, uh, it's a great question because, uh, the answer so oftentimes is, is in the preparation and, um, you know, it's, it's the old, uh, you, uh, I think it's Albert Einstein. If I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 58 minutes diagramming it and then two minutes solving it. That's how, that's how you think about creating remarkable content. It's about research. It's about who are you creating this for? Where are they going to consume it? Why are they going to consume it? How are they going to come across it? Um, why would they care? What is the mindset that they're in when they're trying to, to, uh, to make this type of decision? Is this a moment in time thing? Is, am I supposed to educate them? Am, am I supposed to entertain them? Is it, isn't it a piece of entertainment that has like a little kernel of, of business help? Is it a, a business help that has a kernel of story? Like all of these type of things and be very purposeful and deliberate and create those in a very specific way. Um, and I think that if you want to create something remarkable, you have to spend a lot of time diagramming why you're creating it and who you're creating it for. And once you have that foundation, then you can say, okay, I believe that this group of people needs to have, you know, blank. Like for example, so the show that we do CIO classified, okay. um, we wanted to create a show for CIO classified that was two CIOs or senior technology leaders that that get on a show and really get to be together kind of like on a panel, um, but have an intersection between those two people that they get to riff and have conversations with each other where it's different people every episode. Mm. And the reason why I think that would be interesting is because I was sitting in, um, you know, uh, whatever networking events or private events or whatever. And I was listening to CIOs talk and the way that they would talk to each other was really fascinating. And those type of things are very difficult to evangelize because like, what how would it sound you... like it was just like... very, very honest, very, um, very vulnerable, um, very, uh, helpful to each other. Okay. And... So they weren't talking about D and D and stuff. They were like, <laughs> no, no, they're, CIOs are way cooler than people give them credit for. Um, they got fancy cars. They got they Hell fly yeah. airplanes. They do. They're they're pretty. I guess I, I, if fancy cars and air flying airplanes makes you cool, I pr probably not. But um, <laughs> but no, they're 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 way more fun group of people than I think uh, people give them credit for. But um, but to create that type of show is really hard, right? Because you're like, yeah. how am I going to pull two random people who don't know each other 
to put them in, in, a, in, in a format where they get to talk to each other about a certain topic, like how would you create that? That's like pretty difficult to do. You have to work schedules and all that stuff. You have to have, you know, be able to pair them in a way that makes sense. There's all sorts of things that go into that. And, you know, the end result was this show CI class, CIO classified where we're talking about, you know, like the secrets of, of CIOs. Um, and it's not revolutionary. It's two people talking to a microphone. I, I, I host and I have a co-host, Cassie Williams, um, happens to be one of the ones that I host, but the reason the utility for that was like, this was something that I believed and our team believed that these conversations were super valuable and they were happening and they weren't happening in public enough. And it wasn't just one person interviewing another person. It was like to get the interplay between those two people. Um, yeah. And you need to create like a vehicle for that, that people can go and listen to that exact thing. And so like, I would posit, are we the best IT podcast in the world? Like, I don't know. Um, you know, we have, we have a lot of listeners. We have people that really like the show, but I would say that we're, we're probably the best show that features two different CIOs every episode in the world. And like, that's what I think is remarkable is our guests afterwards, every time they want each other's contact information. They're like, oh yeah, like this is awesome. We should, we should grab a beer. We should hang out. We could, I, I just recorded one earlier, like two hours ago. And they were like, both of them were like, Hey, let me get your contact information. I'd love to grab a beer when, you know, pandemic's over. Like that, those cool. are the sort of things like that's remarkable. That's yeah. It's magic. I love right? it. Cause they're going to go, they're going to go tell other people about that. So, you know, I think about, I try to think about things like that, trying to think about like, what category are you going to create for an asset or a show um, to be remarkable in? I, we have people, um, because we, we, we make uh, podcasts for primarily, you know, B2B enterprise companies. Enterprise, yeah. We have, you know, we have people that, that bring us different ideas all the time, like the smartest marketing teams in the world. And just like so often what we start out with is nowhere close to where we end up in the process of creating these things because they're just not differentiated at all. It's like, you know, creating a show about, I don't know, AI. It's like, okay, like, does the world need another show about AI? Like, yeah, maybe like, you know, did, did the, did the world need another superhero movie? Like, yeah, apparently because they're, <laughs> you know, like they, apparently they, a lot of them. <laughs> exactly. Right. They make a ton of money. So apparently they did. Um, and I think sometimes a lot of people get caught up in like, well, that's been done before or that's been created before, or, you know, does that really need to be done? But at the end of the day, it's like your version of that can be amazing, but you need to focus on like why you're creating it and then how you can make it very different. And I think a lot of times marketers have so much work into their product and product marketing and their demand gen functions and all these things. Um, and they forget to like differentiate, like, why is your user conference different? Because it's users for your product. Of yeah. course, there's, there's nowhere else that they could go to a user conference for your product. So of course it's going to be one of one. Um, but does the average person want to go to your user conference? Like, yeah, probably not. So mm. um, it, it's just thinking about things of like, how can you really differentiate and make something extremely clear and crystal clear to the person, like often imitate it. It's history plus CX, right? Like that was the idea. So we want to be the best show in the world for history plus CX. Like that's what we want to be. Man, powerful stuff. Differentiation. Don't just be 
hanging out and be one of the one of the mix, one of the race to the bottom losers, really stand out. I love that you're. It's the combinations that are interesting. The idea of the two CIOs or a sub, subject like history and customer experience, and you're like, let's mash them up together. It's that creative. It's giving yourself the permission to to be creative, and I think from there it, it becomes a lot easier to differentiate because allow yourself to be creative. But well, to yeah. your point, do it, do that work. It, it, that's not the Hollywood answer either the, of like, man, you, you tell me all about the research and the prep that has to happen. It's not sexy, it, but it's, it's the stuff that sets you up to be on target. Well, but think about, so Reed Hastings said that Netflix is uh, content plus technology, right? It's like mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, equations are the most simple way of looking at things. Um, and I think that that's a, a good way of doing that. But if you think about the best shows ever, it's like, I, I just read this the other day, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, he said that he knew Elvish so well by the end <laughs> of Lord of Rings that he, so he created seven different dialects in Elvish yeah. or maybe or 11 or something like that. And by the end of Lord of the Rings, he could have written the book in Elvish. That's like, legit. That's and like, so again, that's one of the best creators of all time. But like, yeah. you think about that, or you think about like The Wire, like the, the way that they created that show, they mm -hmm. lived in that world and they knew it so unbelievably well that they yeah. could, they knew how everybody talked. They knew how uh, everybody thought about things. And that's why when it's, it's the, one of the best shows of all times, because they lived in that world. So they could, they could paint the picture better. And so a lot of times like us as marketers, especially if you're marketing to someone that you are not, like if you're not a CIO, if you're yeah. not, if you're not a, uh, you know, a uh, software engineer, if you're not, um, you know, whatever it is, if you're not one of those people, like you got to do your research. You got to really, really understand those people. And the more you dig in and understand those people, uh, you know, we always say talk to customers, but it's, it's not just talking to customers. It's like study them, study the forums, study where they, where they hang out, how they talk to each other when you're not around, when sales isn't in the room, things like that. Yeah. It's really critical to understand, to, to paint the picture. Now, all that to be said, I mean, like at the end of the day, you have to have a stance and you have to say, I'm going to make this show for this reason um you know for this purpose and this is what i believe like you have to at the end of the day like have a stance and just go for it you can't yeah. just do research forever but um but you should give yourself that type of planning horizon yeah it, it seems to me something we don't we know we we know we should do we often don't but it just give yourself even just a second you know just it's probably like working out just give yourself like that 10 minute fine, do a five minute workout, whatever. But it's that little bit of planning to say, okay, even if you, you know, Ian asked one question on this podcast, one was like, why are we creating this? Are, are we all clear on this, everyone? Like, why exactly are we creating this? What, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve with this? Oh, we don't know. We're not clear. We all have different ideas. Okay, well, maybe we should sort that out. Like even asking one question and trying to answer it as a team, if it, you're in a team or just yourself before you go and pull the trigger on something is just going to help it be, you're going to save so much time in the, in the back end. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, we have a huge onboarding procedure that we do when we create a show mm. um, that does all sorts of uh, market research. Um, we do a super deep dive into like how our customers go to market. Um, we look at all that stuff. Like you, you have to understand, like you have to understand how an SDR, you know, 
takes a lead over to an AE, how that AE is closing deals, what's their sales cycle. It's like, if you're creating something for someone else, like I need to know that, like our team needs to know that. Uh, Cause we need to know, you know, ultimately if what we're creating is supporting sales, like we got to know all that stuff. Otherwise we're just creating something and saying it looks cool. And that's, um, and that's not good enough. No, it, it's, there's too much out there to just not to fly below that remarketing, that remarkable marketing level. It, and you know what? It's not fun. Life's too short to create boring marketing. But man, here's my question, because I feel like I could talk about this all day. Um, so next time we have to do this again. We have to book like five hours um, and just do like a marathon, maybe like a 24 hour stream. Just do that and see what happens. Yeah. That's um, hardcore for sure. Lots of Red Bull, lots of beer, lots of, I don't know if you mix, uh, lots of stuff. <laughs> Just keep us up. Twizzlers Upper, too. Uppers and downers. Uppers uh, and downers and uppers and downers. Uh, but, but I want to transition. Like, who are you? I, I've been on your podcast. I've listened to your podcast. You know, I, I know you're in the army and I, you've got so much to talk about on the marketing side. Take me back in time. Like little Ian days. Where did you grow up? What was it like? Did you always know you're going to dominate the podcast world? Uh, definitely not. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in Oakland, uh, and I, one of the things that, you know, again, you, you start connecting the dots later on was like, my dad always had a radio on like always like 24 seven. I don't know how my mom put up with it. Uh, so I've listened to more hours of radio than is, is probably just about anyone uh, at my age on this earth. Yeah. Um, was it AM or FM? Always AM. Always AM. AM. Oh, it's talk oh, no. radio. I'm talking to, um, yeah, talk radio. Um, my uh, one of my childhood heroes was uh, was Joe Starkey, the voice of the uh, Cow Bears and uh, and 49ers. My dad used to watch. Um, uh, he wasn't. He's not like a sports fan, but he would watch uh, football games with the on mute, so that we could listen to the radio broadcast. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, so, so, so growing up, I was, you know, super into, into sports. Um, I was in boy Scouts. I was, uh, doing all that sort of stuff. I mean, like I, I definitely am, you know, I was, I was probably, I, I talked way too much. I was probably more on the, uh, got a lot of detentions for talking too much and, and running around and, and doing stupid stuff, uh, as a kid. Um, and then I was pretty good in school. Um, and I basically, I went and visited my uncle who's out in New York and, uh, with my dad and our family. And we were talking one day and they were like, Hey, you should, you should go to West Point. You get a Corvette. It's like, great. You could be an officer in the army. You get all this cool stuff. And I was like, what's West Point. I've never even, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, and so it kind of just started me on this, uh, trajectory where, um, I went and visited West Point and they talked about like a lot of the stuff that I cared about, which was like yeah. being a well-rounded person, being a leader, being honest, um, having physical, uh, fitness, um, having, you know, like discipline and things like that, which I was like discipline, maybe not so much, but the other <laughs> stuff sounds great. And, uh, yeah. And so I ended up, uh, applying and I was, um, I was super competitive candidate because of the sports and SAT scores and nice. and grades and taking honors classes and all that sort of stuff and yeah. ended up uh, ended up getting in and uh, spent four years of absolute uh, getting my getting my ass kicked at West Point, um, <laughs> learning uh, uh, dose after dose after dose of of humble pie. 
No doubt. Uh, and um, yeah, and then graduated, was in the army for five years, um, was in Afghanistan from 11 to 12. And then I got out and um, I, a, a buddy of mine was like, you should go into sales. And I was kind of like, you know, there's this kind of moment in time where when you go into sales, especially your first job out, and I, I'd done a lot of stuff and I'd led like really big teams and, and things like that. And I'd, I'd had a lot of responsibility when I was in the army, like more than, more than a lot of people of my same rank, just because of totally. how, how the yeah. kind of cookie crumbled. So like in Afghanistan, we were doing we had like a team of 20 and we were doing um, essentially like casualty operations and human resource management for like 4,000 people across Southern and Western Afghanistan. And so I'd had, you know, like briefing generals and stuff like that, which for, for like a Lieutenant at the time was like pretty, pretty crazy. And I had just like a lot of responsibility and a lot of, a lot of things. So I'd kind of seen um, that side and I kind of like loved working in teams and doing all that stuff, but I kind of wanted to be an individual contributor for like the first time ever. Yeah. so anyway, so I went into sales and I wanted to do something that I knew. And so I wanted to add sales um, because like I get ads served to me. This sounds great. Uh, and I was working for a media company that that sold um, uh, sold like print and digital solutions for uh, for companies to market to um, uh, to to build veteran hiring programs and, and to support veterans. And so I was super into the 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 veteran space um, and learning a ton there. And I and I did really well as a salesperson and I was, you know, creating a lot of decks and doing a lot of things. And our, our VP of growth was like, Hey, you should come onto the marketing side. So I went in onto the marketing team. I was focusing on like growth partnerships. You got uh, recruited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, you start writing when you have the best slide deck, uh, and the other reps start using it, then marketing's <laughs> like, wait a second. Um, uh, and just kind of like trying to think about, uh, you know, how, how the whole kind of growth function works. I didn't know any of that stuff. So it was all, you know, brand new to me. And, um, and so after being in that, it was just like, you know, just hours and hours of study, listening to like every podcast under the sun, reading every book, um, you know, doing all that, all that stuff and just diving in super deep and, and just building relationships with marketers and like just learning as much as possible for like my former, uh, customers and, and all that stuff. So by the time I started this conference, VetCon, I was running like sales and marketing for this conference. And we had, we had wanted to create a, a conference for military veteran startups here in Silicon Valley that essentially anyone who was a military veteran starting a company could go to Silicon Valley and come there for a weekend and get like a bunch of like, you know, the networking stuff, learn some stuff. That's cool you know, do all that, but really connect to access, like friction-free access to capital and resources. And like, that's what every startup boils down to. You need capital and you need customers and, uh, and then you need, you know, and, and finding talent, things like that. So we, we created this, this event and it was awesome. Uh, it was a great hit and we created kind of like a satellite event. And then, um, we just kind of things ended up falling through and, and a bunch of stuff. And so I, so I ended up co-founding mission, which was a media company and we were focusing on like a new kind of, of media. And so we had like this amazing reach with the largest publication on, on medium at the time. Uh, it's like millions of uniques and what, 
we just ended up kind of moving towards. And I have this huge passion for podcasts. I've listened to like, you know, the 10,000 hour rule or whatever. Yeah. I don't, when I checked just in Afghanistan, I think I booked like a thousand hours of listening to podcasts. So yeah, like, I've, no like, it's like, I've listened to just hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, thousands of hours. And I just kind of saw this like B2B podcast space. It was like extremely unrefined. And so, um, so we, we, we built a bunch of podcasts in-house, um, you know, one, one of them, I still host marketing trends, the one that you were on. Yeah. Um, and, and we were focusing on, on building podcasts in-house and what I kept hearing from people is this is awesome, but I want my own, I want to own the asset and I want someone to do it for me that maybe it's white label, maybe it's not, but like, I want to have this in-house and I want the same high quality storytelling, um, the turnkey solution, all that stuff. And so, uh, so I started Caspian Studios at the beginning of last year um, to be podcast as a service. So um, built for B2B companies, built for the enterprise, uh, built to support um, those companies to have like a true out of the box solution. You get everything you need uh, production, distribution, paid growth marketing, budget, all that stuff is all in the price. Uh, you just pay a single cost per episode, however many episodes you want. If you want a weekly show, you want every other week, whatever it is, and go out the door. And so, um, yeah, it just took off overnight. We were, we have 14 podcasts in production. We have a bunch more on the way here soon. And, uh, you know, our team is, uh, we're essentially putting out a new podcast, uh, essentially every month. And, yeah. um, yeah. And so, and our, and our shows are, are already, you know, getting, uh, hundreds of, uh, of thousands of listeners, uh, across the shows and most importantly, the right listeners, right? Everybody always tries to, and this is an important distinction, right? B2B and B2C are so different in every single way. And one of the things that, that I saw was that, um, it, because it's called a podcast, because it's the same thing to a lot of people, they treat them the same, which is completely incorrect. Mm. What, what Joe Rogan is doing and what you're trying to create are completely different things. It's true. And the business model for that is completely different. I call it like butt wiping problems. Like, Hey, you have a butt, you wipe it. Let's sell them toilet paper or like, or teeth brushing problems or whatever. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you have teeth. I'll sell you toothbrush. And that's about it. Cause there's really bad tracking. But for B2B, if you have a podcast that reaches 50 people, you'd be like, Oh, darn it. But if those 50 people are, are 50 fortune 500 CEOs, you probably have the most pod, you know, the most valuable podcasts uh, in the country. Yeah. Right? So like, I think that shifting how people think about podcasts and how this asset that is, you know, um, there's all sorts of benefits to this um, that, that, you know, we could go into like ad nauseum, but, um, but the clear answer is like podcasts are exponentially rising it is the new normal, like $18 billion a year spent on radio advertising. All of that is going to shift to on demand. It's going to shift to Spotify. It's going to shift to, to, uh, to podcasts. It already is doing that. And um, people want on demand, high quality things that help them improve their careers. And ultimately, like I learned marketing and sales by listening to podcasts. Like I listened to the advanced selling podcast. I listened to like 200 episodes of that show. I could almost recite they have a 10 minute episode that's your sales pregame 
I could almost recite the whole 10 minutes verbatim. I'd listened to it so many Man. times before sales meetings. And like, you just think of that, like, what is that value to me? Like it was instrumental in my career. So I want to be able to, to create, to help marketers create those type of things, because I think that we all want to create really amazing stuff. We want to create remarkable stuff. And so, so you just need a partner that can help you do that. And that is not going to be the kind of like just traditional agency stuff where it's like, you don't know what you're getting and you don't know what's being upsold and you don't know like all that stuff. And I just like, it's so laborious and like, what are we doing here? So I just wanted to create something simple that marketers could just be like, Hey, here's a little Caspian studio. It lives inside our marketing team. And that thing can just churn high quality stories and, and, uh, and content that people love. So yeah, mm, that's, man. that's, uh, the, my whole life in a nutshell. <laughs> Boom. There it is. God, there's so many questions I could ask you, but I, I know we want to keep this on time here. So I got to get to this question. I've been dying to ask you. It's a hypothetical question. I may or may not have a time machine here in Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, let's say COVID's all done. It's actually in the backyard covered in tarp. But let's say, you know, we, we get to go, come over, visit, you know, fly over, get some lobster and, and then use a time machine. And it, go, it takes you back in time to a couple days after you graduate your undergrad. In this case, it's pretty special. You just graduated West Point. Hello, you're in the army now uh, and you're kind of stuck there for a couple of years. Uh, but if you can go back and talk to that Ian a couple of days after graduating, knowing all the things you've been through professionally, personally, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, so I would give the, the advice that I said at the top of the show, which is like, you just, you don't know how to connect the dots until you've made the dots. And like early in your career is about making the dots and making the dots is like making an impact on people. Like whether or not you close that deal or not, whether or not you hit that quota, whether or not you, you know, your campaign is the best ever. Like you have to make an impact everywhere you are. And I think what I did really well early in my career is I was never transactional with my relationships. I was always trying to help people. I was genuinely trying to help people. I wasn't like faking it. Um, I really was trying to use the advantages that I had to like, you know, whether it's access of a media company or putting people's, you know, name in lights or promoting them or doing something or just like making the connection or doing those things. I just always tried to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think we do get frustrated sometimes when you're like, I feel like I am further along than I am. And then also like, I made so little money early in the, not that I make a lot yeah. of money now, but, but I made so little money early in those days. I do probably wish I had just pulled the trigger and went to the big company uh, for a little while. But for me, it was like, I just came out of the US Army and I was like, I was in one of the biggest companies there is. And I just wanted to be, I wanted to have an impact of what I was doing. Um, so, you know, I don't know, maybe I tell myself to, to go spend a year uh, at a big company and, and make a better salary uh, so that the early days are not quite as, as challenging. Um, my wife and I definitely, uh, felt the pain for, for numerous years, no uh, from that perspective. And then the final thing is like, take that trip, take that vacation, like go live life and do experiences like the trips and the vacations that I went on 
they're an investment in you and your culture and your personal approach. And they're so important. It's just like, it's, it's creating this. Uh, and I, I had the opportunity because of my time in the military that I lived in a ton of different cities. I lived in the South. I lived in the Midwest. I live in, uh, in the West coast. Obviously I grew up here. Uh, I spent time in other countries. Um, and, and I tried to travel as much as I can, but I wish I had traveled way more, not just because it's fun. It is fun. And it is a great release, but like, you have to learn about cultures and other people by actually being there and talking to those people. And so many people just get caught up in like, just what's around them, what's in front of them, their bubble. And like, you have to get out of that. Like you have to get as far out of that because it, it just, it makes you a less valuable asset and a creator later on in your career. If you just don't have experiences, um, if you can't relate, if you can connect with someone and be like, Oh, I've been to, uh, you know, that city in, in Norway, or I've been to that sort of thing. Like it just, it goes a long way. Um, so I think I, I think I would have taken a lot more vacation, even though I had no money, but I still would have done it. I would have figured it out. Yeah. It's one of those things too, as COVID wears off, I am jonesing to get out there and I'm going to, I'm going to double down on experience and, and trips and life. And, um, and, and like you said, your own culture, um, dude, this has been awesome. Where can people connect with you? They want to learn more about you, Caspian, all the things, platforms, where should they go? Yeah, go to caspianstudios.com to learn more about the company. If you know, if you know somebody who uh, wants like an enterprise B two B podcast um, and uh, wants to create a great story, you know, feel free to to drop us a line. And then I'm you know on Twitter, LinkedIn, at Ian Faison uh, anywhere. Uh, I'm pretty much at I'm the only Ian Faison, so um, pretty much uh, anywhere where you can find that stuff. And you know, if there's something that I can do or help your marketing team or something like that, or make a connection, always happy to do it. Boom. There it is. Dude, thank you so much, man. This has been great. Thank you. You've had me on your show. I've had a chance to chat with you on mine. I think your interview is better. Come back because I'm sure people are like, we just scratched the surface of podcasts, but we could get all theoretical on people. And and I'd love to even extract the 10,000 hours out of your brain. And and I wonder what kind of combinations you've created in there since. But man, this has been fantastic. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. And I think your your interview was was uh, was better than mine. Uh, so good, good, good job. I think you were a better guest and a better interviewer. So uh, well, that much is, you, is for sure. But but I'm glad you're here <laughs> to experience it. You know, <laughs> no, always learning. Awesome, totally. And for those people listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. Bye.